Yate, hello. Welcome to Real Native Roots Untold Stories, a podcast by a Native woman with deep roots, hosted by yours truly, Vicki Katsuli Boy Oldman. I am a lover of stories, a connector, and a holder of wisdom keepers. Each month, we will be connecting with our Native relatives and exploring what medicine our guests share and offer to us. Please join me on this uncharted journey to learn, connect, and reflect. Ayahat. Thank you. Good day. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good night. I don't know whatever time of day you're listening to this, but greetings to you. Yate. I just want you to know that I see you, I acknowledge you, thank you so much for joining us today. And as you know, when I kick off, there's always something that I share with you in terms of what I'm sitting with or what's been bubbling for me. And what's been bubbling for me, particularly this morning, it's interesting because I got up and went to the gym and then I had this sort of interaction happen and then came back and I was getting ready for my day. and. What came up was the word boundaries. And it was interesting because for the past couple of years, I have been really working on that. And I was not always good with boundaries. I was always one that would be, sure, I'll do it. Yes, I'll be there. And I learned that even when I was depleted, I was still saying yes and was not good. And in these past couple of years, I've really been doing some good work and really understanding what that means. And I've come to learn that when you have good boundaries, that it that is really the form that is like the foundation of self-love. And so what what do you when I say what what do you mean by boundaries, Vicky? It really it what it comes down to is what you're okay with and what you're not okay with. And being able to say no or speaking up when something is not okay and being comfortable with that. Also, I've learned to when saying no, that you don't need to explain yourself. That's another thing that I've been really working on. Just like, no, can't do it. Sorry, can't, you know, and not even apologizing, just saying can't do it with grace and with humbleness and with compassion. It takes work. It's hard. People like, it's easy. Like, no, you. When you do it with love and compassion, it takes work. It's not easy doing this work. So that's sitting with me. And I I just know that folks struggle with this because I work with a lot of people in my field. And I can see when people are struggling with boundaries. I can see when they're depleted and they're still saying yes. I'm like, oh, I just have compassion for them. Like I was once there. I no longer am. I still work on it. I feel in such a good place where I'm like, yeah, can't do it with a gentle smile and without any explanation. So I challenge you all to continue to work on yourself. And that's one area I would explore. I would definitely explore that because it's definitely a gift for yourself to appreciate who you are. So then you're better able to serve not only you, but the people that who truly matter to your children, your parents. So that's what's sitting with me. I just had to share that this morning. So last night I was sitting, going through my stacks of books of poems, and I was also thinking of our guests. I always try to find a poem that the guests might 
relate to, or maybe what we're going to talk about, or maybe something that I see in that person. And so there were a couple of things that I saw, but this one I kept going back to. So I'm like, this is, this must be the one. Okay. So the poem comes from the book, Wisdom Lessons, and it's spirited guidance from an Ojibwe great-grandmother, and her name is Mary Lyons. I think I had mentioned to you all about her last, the last podcast. Okay. So when I introduce our guest, I'm going to ask him what he thinks of this poem or whatever resonated for him. Okay. This is how it starts. The, the name of the poem actually is called Happiness is a Choice, and it starts like this. Happiness is natural if you have made the journey yourself. If you choose to ride on the shirt tails of others to make you happy, be prepared for all their disappointments as well. If you choose to get off their journey and start your own, be prepared for excitement that only you can bank in your memory. It's yours, all yours. If you choose to cross that line of should I, could I, or how can I, just know you have all your ancestors inside you fighting for you to do it. If you choose not to do it and continue your path of expecting others to make you happy, just know that you and you alone closed the ancestors' doorway. They are holding it open for you, sending you the strength to be as happy as they intended you to be, sending tobacco prayers to all who fight loneliness, isolation, and low self-esteem. Remember, you remember you were not born this way. This is a learned emotion. You can choose to be the student of these lessons, or you can walk away from the craziness and become the teacher of I did it and so can you, leading by smiling. Life is good today, and we are open to all the happiness that we meet. Mm. I love this. I read this a couple of times. And when I first read it, what struck me the most and it made my heart smile was when she wrote, just know you have all your ancestors inside you fighting for you to do it. And I'm a true believer of that. Anything that I'm doing for the day, I look at my calendar or for project, whatever. I always ask my team spirit, I need one of you to help me with this particular situation or this particular project. And I believe that they do. So thank you for that. All right. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce our guests. And I always tell you all how I know them or how they came across um, my way. As you know, when I select guests, to come on here. It's very intuitive. And so I've known our guests for about three months, I would say. Uh, and so in that three months span, how, I didn't know who he was, didn't know anything about him, didn't know what he did for a living, didn't know anything. As I got to know him, I was intrigued with his form of living, <laughs> what he did. I was like, oh, it's interesting. And because one thing you'll learn about me is I don't watch television hardly ever, or when I get a chance, I'll watch a movie or so. And so that's why I didn't know. <laughs> anyway, um, 
So we've gotten to know each other, still continuing to learn about each other. And I thought he would be a great guest. I think I said to him, I would love for you to come on. I have not had anybody in your line of work to come on and, and share. Would you be interested? And he said, yes. So I was like, yay. If I were to describe to you all about my friend here, I would say to you, he is smart. He's creative. He also, in my humble opinion, is very charismatic. He can definitely connect with a lot of people. And I'll also say that as I've gotten to have some dialogue with him, he is pretty deep. He can be deep and he can be pretty serious, particularly when it comes to his work. My friend, you're now your new friend, and some of you probably know who he is. His name is Ryan Begay, and he was actually born in Gallup, New Mexico, and grew up in Flagstaff. He served in um, the military. He's, he was in the U.S. Air Force, and that led to him doing some work as an engineer. And then later on, fast forward, he found himself really curious about the film world, the media world, looking at production and television and all of that, like he's in that world. And so he continues to be doing that sort of work by writing. He is directing. He's also an actor. He's a photographer. He does all sorts of things. Some of the movies that you might have heard of, I've actually not seen any of these, but he's been at least in 12 different movies. These are the a handful of uh, movies that he has been in. Sicario, Disney Stargirl, Fast Color, and Drunk's Town's Finest, which I want to see. And then television. He's been in at least 10 different ones. I know one. There's a whole list, but I'm not going to read them all. So he's been in Get Shorty, Breaking Bad. That's the one I know. Yellowstone, Longmire, and Succession. So yeah, he's he's been on the screen and I had no idea. Maybe I did see him and I didn't really pay attention or I was getting popcorn or something. Anywho, without further ado, I would love for you all to meet Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Welcome our listeners. Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello. Yeah, uh, um, I'm Ryan Begay. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for bringing me on, Vicky. It's a pleasure to to get to chat with you and uh, share some of my story, I guess, my experiences, and yeah, it's been a it's been a fun journey so far. Interesting one for sure. Yes, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate you being but, yeah. here, and thank you for telling us your clans and. I'm excited. So I'm glad that you're here. So before we jump in, I'm curious, did anything resonate to you about the poem? Yes. The, um, I think it was, it was the last part, really, you know, the happiness, that last little bit. I know it's about happiness. <laughs> it's very, it's very mm. important. I, I, I think it said something about seeing happiness, but yeah, like being happy and seeing it around you every day, I guess, is what I'm, what, what I really thought about when I'm sitting alone, you know, I, I think about how things go and it's like, you got to see happiness. You got to see happiness everywhere. And it's tough at times, but you definitely have to try and see where, where the bright side is. And I do that a lot. And I, I try to maintain that because even when like with vehicle issues, I don't think, oh man, that's a bad, I gotta, I, you know, what's going on with the starter? 
you know, I take it as a, as a, as a problem to solve. I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Let's see what's going on with it. So I try to look at that, you know, cause it's fun to kind of diagnose some stuff and see how to fix it. So I, I definitely try to look at the happier side of things. Yes. That's the part that really stuck out. And there was something else too. And I, it'll come back to me. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, I think regardless of, I mean, that's what life is about, right? Life is all about lessons. Your whole lifetime is just learning. And how do you navigate that? And how do you try to see the, the happy side of that? Right. And so thank you for sharing. Um, one thing about this podcast I always like to do, and I think it's important, is getting to understand your roots. Who are you, Ryan? <laughs> like, where are you from? I know you introduced us in Navajo in terms of your clans, but I, I'm curious, and I know some of our listeners probably are curious about who are your grandparents and where are they from? And also, the Mahto Naja'a, your mom and your dad. Tell us a little bit about where your family's from. Okay. Well, my dad's side, they're out from Lukachagai. <clears throat> my nully out there was a medicine man and I grew up with a lot of horses, cattle, still today. And, uh, and then on my mom's side, they're out from Pinon, Arizona. And on my Che on that side, he was, he was a councilman and roadman. And so he did a lot of that stuff. He, you know, and, and I didn't really get to know him a whole lot, but I knew my grandma and uh, she was a weaver. And so there's a lot of, I see a lot of artistic folks on my mom's side, but then I look at my dad's side too, and I'm like, they're just equally art as artistic because they're so skilled in, in craft and the labor and carpentry and electrical plumbing, all that stuff, masonry. It's so creative. I'm like, man, that's, those are two, two great things to be a part of. And my dad, he's an electrician. My mom, she was a teacher, counselor and Flagstaff. I'm one of seven children. Uh, I have a twin sister. My brother's the oldest, and then I have two older sisters, my twin sister, and then my two younger sisters. So that's where I fall in line. Somewhere in there. I mean, I, I know I, I usually get lost in there somewhere. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, you're a twin. That's kind of cool. You know, my, one of my best friends is a twin. And so Actually, you and your twin sister just mm -hmm. had a birthday. So happy blessed born day. Ah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> so. Uh, I definitely had to go down and see oh, her good. before. That's what it's going to ask. Do you guys try mm -hmm. to make it a point to do something special on your birthdays? It wasn't so much for me. I actually was really, for a long time, a bit detached from my family, you know. But recently in the past, like, few years. I had to make it a point to more, to be more open and connecting, reconnecting with my folks, my family. And, um, yeah. And with my sisters go down there. And so like last year I made two, I'm here in Albuquerque and I made two, I baked two cakes and then I had to do a zoom call for everybody. And I was like, Hey, we're going to sing happy birthday to Rhonda. And so it was my twin sister. So we all did the zoom and I had two birthday cakes. Like when we were little. I seen these, like, my mom, like, would bake two cakes. And so I was like, yeah, let's do that again. So <laughs> just trying to be more accessible to everybody, mm. I guess. And what's it bringing for you then as you're reconnecting and building that relationship with your sisters and your parents? What's that bringing you? 
happiness. It's nice. It's nice just to be able to chat with them because it wasn't so much beforehand. I was doing my own thing out here. I moved away right out of high school, right after high school. Uh, went to the military and started my own family right away. And I rarely came home. I really, you know, called people. And then after about 15 years, I found myself by myself again. And I'm like, still needing, you know, struggling, still needing some help. Not sure who to really ask. And it was hard for me to call my sisters or my family. And then I spent two weeks at home back in Arizona with my folks. Which was really strange <laughs> and was really around my family a lot and my sisters. And I had to talk with somebody and I talked with my sisters a bit. It was just, it was nice to reconnect and, and it was also nice for them to say, Hey, Ryan, you know, you got to check yourself too. So like you got, you, you have a, you're, you're not e so easy to talk to. They all told me that. It was funny. Um, not at the time, but I look back and I'm thankful for them to have, have all five of my sisters sit me down and say, hey, you're not really that easy to talk to. You need to watch yourself. You need to reevaluate. And so I did. And yep. So that brought me back. And I'm like, you know what? It's, it's good to, to be able to listen to my sister. And listen, you know, a lot of part of this journey for me was just listening. Thank you, Ryan. I'm so glad that your um, beautiful sisters sat you down <laughs> and said, hey there, brother, you know, and that's the beauty of siblings. Like my youngest was the one who always knocked me down a couple of levels and he'd be funny. Like, you don't know that? And you got a master's degree? And I'd be like, yo, just be quiet. And he would always tease me. And, you know, <laughs> so siblings have a way of humbling you or making you really see who you are or like, ah, I shouldn't have said that or that wasn't nice of me too. So kudos to the sisters. Shout out to them. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy for you. It's, it's a beautiful thing to have family when you really need them, right? It's one thing that I keep trying to underscore to my guys. Like you guys just got each other. So it's, another beautiful thing is you came from a big family of seven. Oh yeah. It was it was big. It was rough. <laughs> it was loud. <laughs> it was so loud. Cause my brother's the oldest, so he left right out, right away. So pretty much I grew up in a house full of women. My dad worked out of town a lot. So he worked out of town during the weekend, came back in the weekends or, and then sporadically through the week. But for the most part, it was my mom and my five sisters. Oh man. It was good to, I don't know. Holy moly. It was just a lot. It was a lot to do with. It was a lot. So I spent, I did actually spend a lot of time, um, outside trying to, you know, with my friends, just weekends were spent at my friend's house. And so that's, I just tried to have to manage that because, you know, it, it, it put me in a bad mood. I was always in a little bad mood and I was always like running amok, dirty little kid, <laughs> you know, but my sister was always there too. My, my twin sister was always right there. Um, and so we actually did, we did a lot of stuff together and, um, but yeah, it was just a lot to, to deal with at times. Mm. But that's family too, right? Family, it's everyone. I know everyone that I've known family is, you just love them, but sometimes you're like, yeah, I need to get out of here. 
totally. <laughs> but they're all beautiful and we love what they have taught us and they continue to teach us. So thank you. I appreciate you sharing a little bit. We got to peek in a little bit about your roots, your family, your um, beautiful sisters and your mom and papa. Um, I wanted to transition a little bit because I appreciate you also saying I left and then I started my life right away because you joined the military. So you were in the military and then you did some engineer work and then then you found yourself in like filming in the industry of media and acting. How did that happen? You think about it like military engineer, then all of a sudden you're like in the film industry. What was that bridge that connected you to be in that industry or be curious about it anyway? Okay. Well, um, I was always interested in engineering, you know, out of high school. I knew I wasn't going to go to college. And so I applied just because, but I didn't want to go into state. I didn't want to go into, into um, Arizona. Um, so I was like, I need to get out of here. I was like, oh, Marines, of course they take me. But, you know, I was like, no, nah, I need something different. I need, I want something when I get out. So push me forward. So I, I chose the Air Force and the Space Command to do aerospace engineering. That was my thing. And so I went off and did uh, satellite command and control, space-based missile warning in the Air Force. And uh, it was great. And then I got out. I got out of the service and I, was, I became an engineer. And one day, this, my neighbor comes over. I'm out there mowing my lawn. And he's like, hey, can you take a look at my short film? I just need another set of eyes on it. I was like, all right, cool. So I go and check out his short film. And uh, I was like, man, I was like, where did you, how did you do this? Where, you know, because I'm, you know, I, I did, I enjoy movies. You know, my, my kids, I'm sitting there watching movies with my kids and all this stuff. And, and uh, you know, we've done uh we always, I've always done little skits and stuff like that with them. And even with my, my siblings when we were young. And so I'm like, I'm like, how did you create this? What, where were you able to do this? And he's like, oh yeah, I'm taking classes over at the, the Colorado film school. And I was doing my, my electrical engineering degree at the time and had some electives to fill. And so I, I was like, okay, I'm going to take a production one class and see how this goes. And so I did. And that first semester at the Colorado Film School was amazing. And I learned just so much and, and what it can be, what you can do with it and, and how it can be your voice. And then everything started like going that way, like had me transition to it. Because there was a lot that was going on, you know, in Denver, trying and living in Denver, I had to transition myself too. Cause it was a big culture shock when I got to Denver. Cause I left Flagstaff, small town. A lot of people are like, oh, it's a border town, but no, we still, you still do all the stuff there. It's still part of the Navajo nation. And so you go to a bigger city by yourself and it's like, whoa. And then you start to learn more stuff about the bigger world and like what happened in the community there. And so you learn a lot about, um, started learning more about the struggles, the native people, and then just the stuff that how I applied to myself too, um, you know, in the, in the sixties, seventies and how, it, how, it, how we transition into today and how the struggle still, you know, affects us and it's not over and what is our current state. 
And so all those things started coming back to me and I'm like, man, I'm like, you can, and just stories of the hero's journey, the in, individual overcoming insurmountable odds. And so that, so it took me and I'm like, yeah, this is powerful stuff. And little did I know that, that it would take me this far, but at the time I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to make a short film about boarding schools and I'm not going to, I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to be, you know, um, I wanted to, I want, I want to hit people with it and like, Hey, look, and it did, it, you know, at the time it was, it was my first short film and it did really well. And it got me into some film festivals and it brought me to New Mexico and I started talking to people. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. So I, next semester, enrolled in more and more production classes. And I was still working as an engineer. And then that kind of, the big thing that happened that made the big transition for me was my security clearance came up for review. And the whole time I was in the military, it was not an issue with me going home to do POD meetings. It was sign a waiver, so you know, tell us what you're going to do when you're going to be back. And that's cool. But on the civilian side it was, it just, for some reason was different. And they wanted to ask me a bunch of questions about it. Who, what, where, when, why, who's all there and all these questions. And I'm like, no, you can't ask me that, that stuff. And I sent it back and then they're like, oops, your clearance got lost in the mail, passed the deadline, this and that. So then they told me what my clearance was suspended. And then at that time, they're like, well, you have to wait. So in the meantime, we got to lay you off. And so I lost my job and I, we just went full blown into production, into production classes, into film classes. And then, and that was it. And I started doing more work creatively, did haunted housework, did face painting, body painting, doing filming stuff and helping out where I can in the small productions with the people I, I was going to school with. And then finally made the decision to come down to New Mexico <clears throat> in 2008. And, um, yeah. Wow. So once I got here, that That's was all, all I did. did. Well, thanks to the guy who said, come over and check this out. Right. <laughs> And that, so I know, I know. That's crazy. <laughs> that it's just interesting how I always feel like the work that we do that it finds us versus us looking for it. So that was 14 years ago when you did your first film, The Indian Within. That's the one you were talking about, mm -hmm. boarding schools, correct? Right. So when I watched that, mm -hmm. I even got shocked. Like I know the history. Like I know and I've heard stories and and so when I watched it, I was like, oh. You know, I was like gassed. I was like, oh my gosh, it's raw. <laughs> when I watched that, it's good. So I would encourage folks to check it out. And thank you for also sharing what happened, like the transition from you being in the military and in, in the film, because you were still doing that work. And when you had shared that, I, I was going through some of your footage and I saw this one. I was like, this sounds this sounds familiar. The pledge, the plague of allegiance is that that's telling the story. Correct? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's a bit about, about a what little happened. sprinkle of that. Yeah. So when I saw that, I was like, <laughs> this sounds familiar. I think this is like based on like life. Right. And so, but I also noticed in that film and in a couple of others that you had, it was like a family affair. You had your children involved and 
I'm curious about like now, now that you're kind of in, into it and you're really, this is all you do. Do you still include um, your children, family members to participate in, in some of your work? Oh yeah. All the time, <laughs> <laughs> all the time. Um, my kids, you know, of course they're, you know, they're always open to it. My daughter more so than my son, but they're, but they're open to it. Yeah. And, um, but that, you know, doing those things, you know, working with them it um, and working with their mom too, it, it was, it was, uh, she was a very smart woman, you know, and I learned a lot from her too, because in that plague of allegiance, I, I, I just, imagery is, a, is very important and it says a lot more sometimes when, instead of just saying it. So like there was one where, um, my kid's mom's Chicana, so she was, you know, there was, my kids were reading a book about Cesar Chavez and there was a bowl of grapes and she was eating a bowl of grapes. She's like, that's, you can't really have that. It's like not, you know what happened? And so she was like educating me and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. That's she's like, she's like, it's just funny. She's like, I said, all right. So, you know, going through those things too, with, with the kids and all these little short projects, you learn more about imagery get educated by people around you. Um, but yeah, you, you know, even with, with my mom, including her in some of my projects, she was like, oh, you know, this and, you know, look at this. And my dad, um, my dad, although he doesn't participate, and I, I don't think I'll ever be able to <laughs> convince him to participate um, in a project. He gave me some good info too. He says, um, you know, because you grow up and, of course, we're watching TV, and he's always all turn the TV off. You know, you know, don't always be watching that <laughs> stuff. And um, when I when I told him what I was going to be doing and going into film, he says, um, and I always keep this with me. He says, he says, well, if you change things and it's not for the good, you better know how to change it mm. back. And I was like. I was like, I was like, this, this is a powerful medium and, and you, I don't see you watching it a whole lot, but you know that it changes. It has a power to do that. Um, and I was like, man, I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. You got to know it. You got to know what you're doing, what you're saying. And, and all that thing. So yeah. So you always learn something from the people you worked with, especially family. They, surprise you a lot i love it that <laughs> and you just you're just happy to have to have a, be a part of it yeah the wisdom that the your papa offered that was powerful i was like ooh, that yeah you need to hashtag that <laughs> or something with it it actually i wonder <laughs> did that inspire you to write this and so i want to read this to you and i want you to unpack it a little bit in the sense of telling us why you wrote this and then at the end i would love for you to fill it in the blank all right. So you'll, once I read it, you'll know what I'm talking about. Okay. This is what I took from you. We have access to powerful tools that allow our voices to reach around the world, but we also have a responsibility to stand up and tell the truth and must take it upon ourselves to do so. Learn your culture, learn your tools, and represent yourself in combating accepted stereotypes. We must provide a true and accurate replacement. Create your story, create your characters, your voice to represent the reality 
of your people in your history. Do not rely on old stereotypes to appeal to a misinformed audience. Give them the truth. Honor the uniqueness of your culture and its continued existence. Excuse me. We must take it upon ourselves to hold to the values and constraints, particularly to any culture. Whether we are creating the story or working on set, even in the face of conflict. As for the future of Dene filmmaking, the future is looking... Still looking bright. (laughs) I love it. Thank you. So is this your mission? Tell us about this. Well, this, um, writing this is, it was from a creative standpoint, from a content creator first. That was where it was coming from. Doing the research, doing, you know, when I say learn your, learn your culture, learn where you're from, your history. We only know so much. We, we know what we, what we know and what we see, but there's so much more to it that the layers of our history from ourselves growing up, from our parents to our grandparents and our great grandparents. And we don't always know, would they tell us what we, what they think they want? They, they, what we can accept, I guess. And it's not until you start asking more questions that you find more about what had happened. <clears throat> you can go deeper with not just so much, not so surface level, you know, what we see every day in the cultural aspect of it, but the human aspect of it and the struggle of, of what, what people went through. So no, so you know, when I say, know your history, know your culture, that's because you're, you're contained in that, in that cultural boundary why people do things. It's, it could be a cultural thing or it could be because of the system, what was going on during that time in history. So, and then just being able to voice it. What is it that you're trying to say? What, cause that's what movies are having to do about the overcoming of, of an obstacle. Do you choose to go on this hero's journey, this path of, to save yourself or save, you know, um, an idea save somebody else or, you know, and it all comes back to how we change, you know, so you have to kind of know who you are as well, where fault lies in your, in yourself and how to improve it. So that way you can put it onto another character, say, these are, these are these faults. And these are the terms that he has to come or he, she has to come in to terms with to rise above it for the betterment, to resolve all that stuff. And native film, I think is going to that way. I think we, I've told you this before, I think we're still in our infancy. It's still a new thing still after 14 years, it's still a new thing. We just got some TV shows, there's movies, but there's not so much. And what are we telling? You know, a lot of people say we need to tell our own stories. I see that in a way of, you know, a lot of documentaries, but as far as like narrative fiction, not, or fictional storytelling, it, um, it just has to be more. And I think we kind of, I think we kind of just don't really quite understand what we want to say in in some cases, um, or we're just kind of nervous about what the what people are going to, you know, I think that's probably the biggest thing is like, we're going to, people worry about what people are going to say, but you know, um, 
all all films are or movies are are stories. You read a book, there's a nonfiction book, it has a theme, it has plot, and there's something that happens, something you take away from it. Movies are the same way, whether it's comedy, horror, drama. There's always a message in there. And I think that's great. I think that's something we, that we native cinema can really do because once you understand all, you know, this history, this cultural, you, you understand that it doesn't always have to be explained. It can just be shown and it doesn't have to be all over the screen. It can just be some, something really small that connects, connects back. And as long as like you, the audience connects with the characters and what they're going through, you know, that's the most important part. And there's a lot of things that we, in trying to create authenticity that we run into. Well, is it, is it authentic or do we, should it be authentic? You know, that's the boundary too. There's a lot of collaboration that happens and you, you can't always have everything correct either. Um, you know, when I, when I say, you know, whether you're on cast or crew, you have to always kind of see, and you do that to a point where something doesn't sit well, yeah, you say something, but then you also have to, when you understand filmmaking, you also understand that, that it's not the biggest thing to always speak up about. Like there's a lot, whether it's costuming, you know, it's not quite right. You know, so there's that balance. Do you get it right for people to see? And then it's like, well, well, this is right. And then come back and they're like, oh no, that, that you know, and then the audience says, ah, that's, that's not really not right. You know, or there's a little bit off. Mm -hmm. Now everybody thinks that's right, but it's wrong Or You know, so there's that balance yeah. there, you know, and then. Then there's so much in the history, so it's like you can't say that this is not wrong because you know, like I was in one show, I was wearing this little medicine bag, and they're like, "Well, you know, that's not really Navajo," and I was like, "Yeah, but it was the '70s. <laughs> '70s. There's a lot of you know cross culturing yeah. going on." I was like, "Maybe he get he got it from somebody, and it's his buddies." You know, that's so you kind of mm. you know. You, you, as an audience, you're thinking, well, well, yeah, that's not Navajo, but I had to make sense of it because we already shot the first scene and I was like, oh man, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have worn it, but it's in this, it was in this time period where maybe he left, he got relocated and he came back and he met some great people and he came back with this little pouch that he now wears because his bros gave it to him. I don't know, but that's how I kind of make yeah. you kind of develop your character as well. I, I love that. So, there are a couple of things that you um, said that I thought were really powerful. And uh, one is that you had said, this comes to the, the storytelling when you were talking about creating the film, is that you don't have to have a lot of vocals or have the whole storyline read to you or whatever. And it made me think about one of the other film that you did, which I really enjoyed, which is The Receiver. That was really good because you didn't say nothing in there. I was waiting for you to say something. It was really powerful. That is an example of what you were saying. I thought it was really a great way to, to, to say that. Then the other thing that came to my mind, and I'd love for you to comment on that, but the other thing that came to my mind too is that 
you know, as Native people, like, this is like our jam, (laughs) storytelling. I mean, that's what we grew up with, you know. This is the time, actually, right now in the winter to be doing a lot of storytelling. But, you know, our elders and our relatives always storytell, you know, at a meal when we're doing chores, getting wood or hauling water. There was always some sort of story. My Nelly would be like, that, you know, that rock over there. You know, he would tell the story about what it is and what it's called and why it's called that. So there was story every day, you know. And so what a beautiful medium for us to be creating our own narrative, right? And I love how you were able to pivot with that, the medicine necklace, like, well, it could have been a gift, you know, who knows? You know, there are all different spins and and how to, to look at that in terms of the angles. I don't know if you want to say anything about the receiver or the storytelling uh, before I go to our next question. Yeah, the receiver, that was, um, that one was kind of a tough project for me, but it was something that the Museum of Contemporary Native Arts in Santa Fe had asked me to do. And it was about vision is about vision and he's sitting alone and the only thing that he was left with there's nobody around the only thing that he hears is the radio this guy on the radio and he tells you know starts off his his um broadcast you know got to have been a good morning and and then it was dead and then there was no more broadcasting and so he was left with just silence and his own thoughts. But he kept having a dream about these mountains. And so that was his, you know, I'm going to have to, his calling to go and, and find out what is this meaning and ends up finding, finding the radio and finding, um, finding a voice to, to put back out there. So, and that, so he retakes that voice back and says, yeah, they've been, and start speaking to everybody again. So that was yeah. the vision. It was really good. So I would recommend <laughs> folks check that out. So these are really great short, short films. Earlier you had said this, the industry, the film industry for native people, it's still young. You said it's in its infancy. When I hear you say that, that means it's, there's still a lot of opportunity, right? There's a lot of opportunity for our native people to tap into that. And I know in New Mexico, there's a lot of filming. So for any Native person who's curious about the industry and the film, the movie industry, what would you recommend that they need to think about doing to to get their foot in the door? Not everybody has to be a filmmaker. Not everybody has to direct. That's the thing too. People have to, not everybody has to be an actor. The majority of uh, film technicians are craftspeople. They're artistic, they're painters, they're sculptors, they're electricians, they're truck drivers. All of that is, is part of the film industry. And there's very few, you see some native folks working as grips, as construction folks. And you're like, man, that's, that's what's up. We need more people. To do. This is a job. I think a lot of native people don't really see themselves doing like, oh, I'm not working up there as a, as a laborer, as a, you know, building sets. I'm like, yeah, but you're building, you're cutting wood, you're measuring, you're hammering, you're, that's, you know, you already do that. 
so why not do it for a movie? And, um, and so, so I think it's really cool every time I run across somebody who's, who's behind the scenes creating, actually creating the world of the movie and seeing somebody behind camera. It's, I, I think that's big. As far as creatively goes, Nate is behind the camera to see it, to, to cre help create the image, framing the image, understanding how to light. Oh, and then all you electricians out there. Yes. <laughs> we need electricians as well as carpenters and painters. But yes, if you're, you know, in the camera and you see how to create an image and how, and how a still image says a lot about what's going on with the character or the situation, it's big. I think a lot of people, when we grow it, like I said, this was one of the things that, that tells us we're still in our infancy is that we're still, there's no cinematographers out there, native cinematographers that have a, a certain feel that comes from who they are, you know, and that's finding that mm -hmm. it is really big because being informed by where you come from and being able to put that imagery out there, you know, you take a photo, a still photo and, and you're like, oh, that's, that says that's something strong like that. You know, or when you think back to your childhood, what is it that like stands out and how do you recreate that feeling where you create it in an image? And, and I think that's where, where we can start growing as far as visual storytellers as well. So that's just going to help us grow as an industry, I think. And it's, that's why I say we're still in our infancy because we can direct, we can take somebody else's mm -hmm. story and get somebody else to film it for us and direct and put native characters in it. Like all stories, you can really interchange the, the characters because we're all living this world. It's because it's the human experience that we watch movies and we connect with characters. That's why you can put, you can interchange, put in a different setting. I love how you open that, right? And you help folks to just understand, like, it's not just directing, acting, it, there's a whole industry, <laughs> uh, bring your skill to this sort of work. And I would think also that on the set and helping that you're also still learning, right? You, there's opportunity for you to find other places where like, oh, I'm curious about that and an opportunity for you to, to do more on a film. And so you get the feel of the whole thing instead of just one piece of it. That's really helpful. I do. I will say though, we do need actors. <laughs> there's only, there's still, after all this time, there's still only a handful of people. First Nations film industry has a lot going on. There's a lot of First Nation actors. Even and down here, known people, there's very few known native actors, right? And it's tough. It's tough to try and cast things because the performers aren't there. And so you get the same performers over and over. And also they, it's one of the biggest challenges you have an eye face as a filmmaker is not having performer performers. Well, folks, you hear it. There's some acting opportunities. So this is one other last question. Is I know we could probably go another segment just talking about this industry. 
at this juncture in your life, because you've done a lot, you have met a lot of different people, you've been on different sets. What have you learned about yourself and, and, and what you're learning about yourself? What would you give as an offering to our listeners? I always like to ask our guests, give some wisdom to our listeners. What should they be thinking about and based on where you're at? Let's see. Um, don't be afraid to fail. That's and don't don't look at you know um, failing as a bad thing. Look at it as something to learn from, and don't let it constrain you to not doing it anymore. It's um, it's one of those things that that everybody says I failed more times than I've succeeded, and it is true. I I think. But it also frees you up from thinking about failing because you're like, ah, it's a part of it. So I'm not going to hold myself back because this is the only time I'm going to be able to do it. Either I put it out there, it's a go or no go. But as long as I put myself, my full effort into like an audition, may or may not get it, but. And that for me, that's a big one because then you're happy with it. Regardless, if you don't get it, like I'm happy with, with what I put out there, what my performance is. And then you can say, well, what, what can I work on? If I didn't get it, well, what can I work on next? And it's all a learning process for yourself. And you have to remember to listen because that's the big thing too. It's, it's a lot with with acting, and then just with people, with like with my sisters. I had to listen to them, and I wasn't always one to listen. And and they all had to sit me down and be like, "Listen, Ryan," <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, yeah, <laughs> you're right. You ladies are right." And so I had to do that with myself, like, like you can't just go and do this. You know, you have to work at it, you know, listen to what other people are saying, listen to other people's experience and don't just hear it, but listen, take it into yourself and apply it. How can you apply it to yourself and, and so it benefits you for the better. And then you see those changes and you make those changes and you see the changes and you know, it's still, you get it or don't get it, but as long as you make those and you feel good about what you've done, that's happiness. Like, I'm good. Mm. I'm good. I put my, I put my all into it. Yes. 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 <laughs> don't be afraid to fail. And I really thought it was powerful when you said it frees you. Quincy's own it, it frees you. And I think one of the underlining themes in this, this connection, our connection here is you had said, I heard you say listening so many times. And I think that is a key to good relationships. It is a key to really seeing what it would look like going to the next level. So definitely listening. So thank you so much, Ryan, for sharing that. I appreciate it. One other question, I'm going to go to the fire round, <laughs> but I would love for you to tell our listeners. What's in the near horizon for you with work? Uh, look out for Dark Winds on AMC. I'm not sure when it's coming out, but it'll come out this year in 2022. Um, 
That's the big one. That's my big one. I'm really super excited about it. So it's a Tony Hillerman story. (laughs) And so it's, it's going to be super fun. A lot of, a lot of Navajo actors on it too. Sweet. I'll put in the description folks where you can find him because he does photography. And I've noticed that you have a soft spot for nonprofits. I've seen that you've done some work for some of our Pueblo, some of the tribes and capturing their story about their organizations. And he's even done some um, music videos, which were pretty cool. He does a whole span of things. You need um, someone to help you with that, with your organization, headshots, whatever. You can find him, follow him and see what he's up to. So you know what other films he's going into. So. We're going to go fire around. I don't want you to overthink this. You just got to just respond. Be ready. All right. All right. The first one. Ready. Fry bread or tortillas? Fry bread. Fry bread. And just so you all know, he's learned to make really good fry bread. I haven't had one myself, but apparently he says he makes good fry bread. (laughs) (laughs) When I left my mom's house, I was like, I can't just ask her for bread to send me anymore. I got to be able to make it on my own. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but he can now. So you men out so that's there, why I... <laughs> particularly our, our native men, you can make, if Ryan can make fry bread, you can make fry bread. It's possible. <laughs> totally. Okay. Even if it Ra- takes you 40 years, you can do it. <laughs> okay. Rock or ice climbing? Rock. Rock. All right. You recently went on and ice climbing, which looks pretty scary, but why do you pick rock over ice? Ice climbing was, is something new. And it, so it has stuck with me, definitely. I think about it. I'm like, okay, I do need to get back out there because it, you know, it was my first time. And as you do more and more, it comes to be more comfortable. But rock climbing is something that I've been doing for about a year and a half now. And that's taught me so much. A lot about failing because you do, you fall a lot and it's problem solving. So that's where also my engineering mind comes into play. It's like, how do you solve this? And, but it's like, and it's your own. It's, it's definitely a mental thing too. You know, do you just stop here without trying to solve how to get back up to the top? Or you just keep going and you look at it and you solve it and you persevere through it. And it's so great when you do, <laughs> you get to that top and it's just like, ah, this is fantastic. And the view is beautiful. Yeah, I bet. And congratulations on your recent accomplishments as a lead in rock climbing. That's a big deal. Okay. Mm. Favorite childhood TV show? Jeez. A Brave Star comes to mind real quick. But, oh, Voltron. Voltron. I'm going to have to Google that mm-hmm. one. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> when people stand up for a standing ovation, are you usually one of the earlier people to stand up or are you one of the later? One of the later. <laughs> Me too. How many pull-ups can you do in a row? Now? Yes, sir. 10? The reason why I asked that question is cuz Ryan, if you follow him, he's always doing push-ups. So I'm like, yeah, I wonder how many he can do in terms of pull-ups. So, 10. Yeah, way different. (laughs) (laughs) A a hard 10. That's a struggle to get 10. Okay, this is a kind of a funny one. I have two more, and then we'll wrap up. 
Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat an animal cracker? Yes. <laughs> oh, I just had to put that one. That made me laugh when I, when I read that. Okay. <laughs> so you have to do this. Okay. Using an Elmo voice. Tell tell me how you like your coffee. <laughs> Elmo voice. Elmo, Elmo, Elmo. <laughs> okay. Um. Oh, okay. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, He's trying to tap into his Elmo spirit. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm like, I can hear him, but I don't know if it's going to come out <laughs> like Elmo. <laughs> I'm teasing. You don't have to do that. I wanted to see if you could. Elmo. <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Elmo. Elmo likes his coffee black. If Rocco was creamer, Elmo don't want, don't want no Rocco in his coffee. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Elmo likes coffee black. <laughs> he likes his coffee black. <laughs> Oh, thank you for playing with me. I appreciate that. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to do it, but I was like, I'm just going to put it in there and see if he does it. <laughs> oh, Ryan, I I was trying I was trying to connect it with the with some silly videos with that I've seen that my daughter made me watch and with Elmo and Rocco not Elmo not liking Rocco. So, yes. <laughs> Rocco's the creamer that he doesn't want in his coffee. <laughs> I really enjoyed our time together. I hope you did too. And listeners, thank you for joining us. There's a lot of wisdom here that he had offered about failing, listening, and also just being open to receive from your relatives. But also there's an opportunity in whatever work we're doing to create your own narrative, right? To speak up, to learn and understand yourself and your culture and your community to make a difference in that. So thank you, Ryan. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, Vicky, thank you so much. 